If you're a parent, teacher, or school leader, and you're sick and tired of the frustration, anger, and unfair treatment of children at high risk in our public schools, then perhaps it's time for all of us to do something about it. In this podcast, Dr. Amitra Berry brings you tips, tools, strategies, and tactics to build successful solutions while touching, moving, and inspiring all of us to transform our schools so that every child thrives. Here's your host, Dr. Berry. Someone once said, education is the foundation upon which we build our future, but politics determines the quality of the bricks. I don't know who said it, but I like what they said. Welcome back, Equity Warriors. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we begin season two of the 3E podcast, and I am super excited because this season, I'm going to focus on the politics of education. You know, how political ideology, power, and decision-making are influencing our K-12 public schools, at least here in America. For my listeners in Canada and across Europe and Asia, let me know how it impacts you in your countries. I'm curious. For those who might think that politics and education is something new, think again. Let's start with a definition. You know, I believe in front-loading. What do I mean when I say politics? I'm talking about that set of activities, the actions, the policies that are being used to gain and hold power in a government or to influence the government. Politics involves making decisions that apply to members of a group and encompasses social relations that have something to do with authority or power. Politics can be about the methods and tactics that are used to create and apply policy at the school, local, state, national, or even international levels. And as a friend of mine once said, politics comes from two Latin words, poly meaning many and ticks meaning bloodsuckers. I don't know. I just like that one. But keep in mind that school districts, at least here in America, are government entities. They are governed by elected boards of education, except when states take over districts. But we'll get into the politics of Houston ISD in another episode. Trust me. So this season, I'm going to focus on those activities, actions, policies that are used to gain power and hold power over children and parents in local communities in a school district. All school districts, your school district. I'm going to focus on those decisions that apply to our children in K-12 public schools and the social relations involving the authority over the districts, over our children, and over their families. And the really fun stuff, well, fun for me, that is, the way they do it, the methods and the tactics that are used to create and apply policy that are too often impacting people of color and people in marginalized communities in ways that are destructive and detrimental. Think through that lens. This uh, nonsense that we're living in right now, that we are witnessing right now, it didn't start in the last election cycle. It didn't start in the one before. It's just gotten uglier and uglier, and it's being played out on social media and a 24-hour news cycle through podcasts, some of which are like mine, but others that are not. 
And it's our ready access to information that is bringing all of this ugliness to light. But as a casual student of history and politics, I'm reminded of the shifts of the past. Here in America, the ugly politics of education have always been about race and racism, demonizing immigrants, those who speak languages other than English. We had Indian boarding schools designed to kill the culture of the child, erase their history, destroy their language and their pride. And you know what? They were horrifically successful at doing just that in killing off our indigenous people and in killing thousands, thousands of Native American children in federal boarding schools in erasing the hundreds of languages of the indigenous people of America that once existed here. We had schools that were segregated based on race, and we've been playing whack-a-mole, trying to get equity in education for a 100 years. We had Jim Crow laws that enforced segregated schools, those Indian boarding schools that removed Native American children from their homes, but the only people they saved were white men and the property that they were after. We had redlining and housing discrimination, which led to de facto segregation of schools because people of color could only live in redlined neighborhoods. And since school funding has been historically based in property tax revenue, we had and continue to have underfunded schools in communities of color and low wealth. So let's play whack-a-mole or whack-a-racist educational policy here. The wins for our marginalized communities, Brown versus Board of Education, we love to cite that one. The Fair Housing Act, Title VII of the Civil Rights of 1968, that helped to eliminate some of that stuff. But then what did we get? We got tracking and ability grouping. And because the vast majority of K-12 teachers have always been white, and in the 20th and 21st century, women teacher expectations and implicit bias has con have continued to serve to work to ensure that those lower ability groups were filled with black and brown bodies and seen them tracked into vocational tracks rather than college prep tracks. Standardized testing brought cultural bias into the content equation, limiting access under the guise of science. Sorry, not sorry. I got to call bullshit on that one because that standardized testing resulted in disproportionate special education referrals for children of color that limit their access to general education content and future opportunities. Far too often, our children of color are placed into special ed without proper non-biased assessment or cause. And far too often, they are placed in there for the nebulous behavior disorders, which are fueled by zero tolerance policies and school resource officers and that high police presence on the majority of color schools where minor infractions are criminalized, leading to higher rates of suspensions and expulsions and feeding the school to prison pipeline. By the same token, our children of color are underrepresented in gifted and talented programs, denying them opportunities to excel and challenge themselves at advanced academic levels. And our emergent bilingual learners have been consistently subjected to language and bilingual education policies that have sought to suppress native speakers of their world languages, their heritage languages sometimes in the same districts that want to elevate dual immersion programs for English-only learners. Again, bullshit. I see this happening right now with the takeover of Houston ISD, but I'll come back to them in another episode.
these things that have been around for so long, I, I think we've become desensitized to them. The names change, but the policies remain the same with the exception of Lau versus Nichols, which guaranteed appropriate education of English learners. We haven't been able to get rid of any of these things. Now, some districts like LA Unified have made substantial progress in eliminating SROs and armed officers for their campuses. Kudos to them. But the policies continue to pile on with underfunded schools and communities of color. Shout out to California that has remedied that. And I'll give them their due in an episode on the politics of school funding. We have school closures in big cities, particularly in neighborhoods of color, leaving our black and brown children to travel longer distances to school or attend larger schools with less personal contact. And finally, there's the stuff you see every day on the news and in social media. I'm talking about erasure or misrepresentation of people of color in textbooks and curriculum. I'm talking about limited access to AP and honors courses or policies that effectively keep black and brown children out of those classes because of the schools that they feed in from not having rigorous academic instruction to prepare them for success in AP and honors courses. I'm talking about excluding ethnic studies or limiting the content of those courses to prevent our children from learning the whole truth about various cultures and the way people of color, especially black and brown people, have been treated in this country. And finally, I'm talking about culturally irrelevant curriculum, the failure to incorporate or reflect the histories, experiences, and cultures of students of color across the curriculum. So you can see, my Equity Warriors, we have a lot to cover this season, and you have a part to play in this. Get involved. Stay involved. Vote like your life depended on it. Vote in your local election, school board, mayor, city council. Attend a local school board meeting. Advocate. Get your voice out through social media. Follow me across my channels and repost. I promise you I'm going to bring you more content this season through social media. And then continue to join me every week. Connect with me on social. Use the links down in the notes. Send your questions, topics, and requests to info at askdrberry.com. That's a new email, info at askdrberry.com. And I will answer those questions. And I will bring you experts to help address the topics. Don't worry about the things you cannot change. Vote and change the things you can no longer accept. And I'll see you next time. That's it for today's episode of the 3E Podcast. Head over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in a grand prize drawing to win a $25,000 value private VIP day with Dr. Barry herself. Be sure to head over to 3epodcast.com and pick up a free copy of Dr. Barry's gift. Then join us on the next episode.